facing modern society. And remember, the lies are many, but the truth is one. As we begin with the most you know, prescient topics, uh, the most recent events, the widespread social unrest centered around what many view as uh, unmistakable racial provocation against the black community. And with a little deliberation into the subject, it, it's clear that this is a well-crafted media narrative attributing white racism, uh, systemic racism, as the cause of incidents of police brutality. And while most of us can see through the naked attempt to demagogue the issue, it's, it's really clearly politics as usual. And so as we follow a lot of the reporting uh, about the funding that is driving some of these uh, anarchist groups, uh, revolutionary abolitionist movement, and Antifa, and Black Lives Matter, which have really just devolved into a black hate group, um, have really just pushed forward seizing upon this narrative that there is systemic racism that now uh, move forward to defund police departments and, and to do basically the plan, the communist manifesto. It's where the planks of the communist party being moved forward under the guise of uh, a racial inequality. And it's imperative that we examine the nature of the conflict a little bit more closely and we can see that there's a clear Hegelian dialectic process which uh, really just pits two uh, oppositional forces against each other to destroy them and to merge them uh, and get a, a, a solution that's more uh, useful. And, uh, and in, in this way, we see a lot of this destruction that's being caused. It's useful destruction. This destruction is useful to those who are funding it um, to get uh, the, the, the political vehicle and the economic uh, vehicle of, of the state to move in the direction that they would like it to move. So, as we examine the topics of black and white and the creation of conflict, it must become clear to all of us that we are looking at a false dichotomy. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a difficult dilemma that's superimposed on our culture. And people are not blacks and whites. In fact, nothing is black and white, as the old saying goes. We have a very diverse population, which is allowed by the virtue of the fact that we are united as a nation by our political doctrine, and not by ethnicity. As one American nationality, we as a people derive from many different cultural traditions, and we are not born into an American race, but we join the cause, the political cause of American national, uh, American national heritage. And many people are born in, in America and they live their lives, uh, they have a birth certificate, and by their own choice they do everything in opposition to the very country and its freedoms that they inherited by birth. And conversely, many people born in foreign lands seek to escape the, the oppression and they migrate here and take up by their own volition the cause of American freedom. And though they weren't born with this great national heritage as their own, they chose to make America their own. And one cannot select, for instance, to have a Japanese citizenship unless their racial characteristics were Japanese. Uh, Japan is a uniquely Japanese nation, inherently. And uh, America is different. To be an American is not a matter of genetic features or racial traits that we inherit from our parents, but rather America is a belief, a matter of intellectual substance, that, that unseen place where our conscience resides, the inward man, the seat of the soul. The cause of the American Constitution literally refers to this courage of our convictions, and the freedom of conscience is that ultimate prize that we are fighting for. And we must admit, as a free people, that myriad communities with many diverse ethnic roots have become one united people, not because of racial heritage in our genes, or even a shared historical legacy from the past. No, we are one people because we have chosen to take 
up America's constitutional cause of freedom. And we have long ago left behind the notion that genetic traits in our physical flesh that exhibit our native ancestry can tell us a single important thing about a person. The amount of melanin in our skin, whether more or less, is as unremarkable and irrelevant as the curvature of, of a person's ear or the color of their eyes, and can do nothing whatsoever to express the true content of a person's character. Again, we must go within a man's heart, far below skin color, to discover what a man really is. And as, as we move forward with this discussion, we have to look in, at closer at the politics of racial conflict. We find the terms blacks and whites being introduced into the, the English lexicon very late in history. And these terms are at once absurd and inaccurate, and they serve really as a precursor to racial provocation and strife. And these terms are instruments of agitation introduced as weapons against the people. Uh, long ago, people might have been described as colored people, and then uh, during times of segregation, people were divided. Uh, you know, there was people. There was a, a drinking fountain for colored people and a drinking fountain for whites, and these kind of devices were developing, and eventually we're going to have this uh, conflicting uh, terminology of blacks and whites. And really, these, these are really uh, masks which serve to bury our original ancestry. So, so many of us are going to be coming from different walks of life to build up the American population in the last 200 years. We're going to have people that are coming from Belgium, people that are coming from France, people that are migrating here from Russia. And, uh, you know, Russia has a, a, a wide population of white people uh, that could be called white, and uh, so does uh, France. Um, but they are not even remotely the same people at all. There's nothing remotely similar about, uh, you know, a French people with a, you know, with a French ancestry and, uh, and, and people that are from Russia with a, with a, a long line of Russian ancestry. Um, despite the fact that they look the same, perhaps, if you, if you didn't hear their accent or know anything about them, you might uh, have a sense of prejudice that, that said that these people were white. Um, but they're, they're very different people. For instance, people that are from Ireland and people that are from Scandinavia, let's say, uh, are very different. Uh, you, can, you can look at them and look at their hereditary traits that they ha that have been passed down to them from their parents, you can see that a lot of people from Scandinavia are very tall. Um, and a lot of people that are from Ireland are not very tall. Maybe they're 5'7", uh, 5'8". Five, five, and then you have people from um, the, Netherlands, the Netherlands, or the Swedish people, are very tall. In the same way, you might go to the Philippines and, and see that the population there of, of people that are ethnic Philippines are, you know, maybe they're shorter. Shorter than, uh, um, as an Irish man, being 5'9", I might be tall uh, with that, in that population. So you can see that, that we all have very different traits and racial characteristics, and they cannot be fit into these ideas of blacks and whites, which is rudimentary and almost barbaric. And like I said, it serves really to, to bury our original ancestry so that, you know, people who are African-American, did you know that there were 66 countries uh, that make up Africa and um, dozens of different individual tribes and languages? And if you make everyone a black who has dark skin, then they have lost all those original uh, ancestry uh, connections to their past. And in the same way, you, you have to understand that not everyone who has dark skin who might be considered black is from Africa. If you look in South America, there are uh, tribes there, pygmy tribes of people that um, have developed and become, according to, you know, most statues in America are relatively short people, and their, uh, their skin is very dark. And, but they did not originate from Africa. In the same way, if you go to Australia, when the white British colonists arrived in Australia, they found that, that their, the land was already occupied by Aboriginal tribes, the Aborigines, 
and that very dark skin being so close to the equator that developed over time more melanin in their skin and they were black except for they weren't from Africa they were just people that had been living in the land uh, originally indigenous peoples to the land so you can see that over time it's become clear that if you were people that migrated over the Caucasus Mountains and you were farther to the north, you were Norsemen, Northmen, you were far away from the equator, you were up in the mountains in the snow, and over time your skin had less melanin and it was not as necessary to protect your skin from the sun, so you became more white and more pale. And if you, as a people, migrated closer to the equator, in which you had a lot more sun, then your skin would would develop more melanin, and so that your complex complexion was a little bit darker. And so you can see these features changing over time. In biological terms, this feature is relatively unremarkable, considering that uh, many owls will in the summertime, their, their their feathers are brown, and then during the wintertime, their feathers turn white. And it's, it's, it's the same thing with, with other animals as well. So there's a level of ignorance that's to be attributed to this suspicion that we have towards one another based on our racial, racial characteristics. Now, to the idea that America is a system, systemic slavery, or systemic racism, Again, is is an absurd, absurd notion. In fact, in 1776, when America was really developing and breaking free as an independent country, slavery had existed in the world as a valid means of commerce for thousands of years. Uh, uh, People who would go into debt would be indentured servants for seven years. Many people came to America and were sent to Australia because of debtor's prison. So the idea that if you went bankrupt and couldn't pay back your debts, that you were going to go to prison. And it, you know, it wasn't a matter of just you know, walking away from it and, and, and closing and doing a chapter, filing chapter seven on your company and walking away. In fact, you might be sent to, into indentured slavery to work those debts off in a very real commercial sense. And as we approach the topic of, of slavery, of, of the sub-Saharan slave trade that brought so many black people into America, stands the reason that if, Amer if America was originally founded as a place that did not allow the slave trade at all, we would be looking at a population in America that was much smaller and much less diverse and probably just mostly European white people. So I found that to be a very uninteresting outcome. So even though black people in America might be able to trace their history back to the slave trade, the good news is that you've inherited America as your country and, uh, and you were free here by Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation after the, the terrible war to produce that freedom as political liberty under the law. So that's an extraordinary outcome and it means that America was the instrument that ended thousands of years of oppression and bondage and commercial slavery of human trafficking. Overcome the ignorance that's involved with this naked uh, attempt to divide the American people. And these descriptions serve to herd individuals into subgroups, racial subgroups that they do not naturally belong to. The American population is become divided against itself by these erroneous concepts of blacks and whites. And America does not consist of divergent racial tribes. On the contrary, America is a unifier of people who believe all men are created equal, are equally free, and are equal under the law. And so we must accept the fact that on the contrary to being racist, America was actually that ended slavery and the slave trade and did so against the, uh, the odds and against uh, the, the wishes of the rest of the world, which would have continued the slave trade for, for many more centuries to come. And we need to recognize that in these politics of racial conflict, it serves our enemies that we are divided as a people and that we appear that we cannot stand and we cannot defend one of those liberties and rights 
equally under the law. And it takes us back to, really, to the, the time of the Civil War. So as America is being founded, um, we have the Bill of Rights drawn up, and then in the 1870s, they start to develop the actual the, the United States Constitution, in which um, people who, who were property, who were slaves, uh, were actually begun to be counted in the census as five-eighths of a person, which is a little bit more than half of a person. So you can see that the, in the Congress, uh, this new con Continental Congress that's being established, there's a, a really deep, uh, deep debate and, and a conflict between them as they try to decide, you know, how many representatives each each colony or each state or each territory will get. And so as they fight to have more representation and, and more representatives, uh, they want to count individuals who are currently uh, property as slaves or who are indentured slaves for a period of time and then, you know, by law to be set free after if they've survived their uh, indentured slavery and worked off their debt for seven years, then they can become free citizens again and then own property and, and, and try to once again their hand at being a freeman and at being responsible for their debts. So it was, it was crucial during this time that you paid back your debts and the consequences for not doing it could be, could be devastating. Of course, this empowered the creditors to a great extent, but also represents the great force of, of, of economics over time. And that, you know, if, you, if you're borrowing money, running the risk of having to pay the penalty with your own freedom if you could not obviously pay back the debts. Let's return to the topic of, um, of, of, of slaves being held in America, being counted uh, in the Congress as five-eighths of an individual, uh, a free individual. And so as they, they're trying to make sure that their, their colonies and their state, eventually their states would have the maximum number of representatives that they could get, and also there was the, the emerging Republican Party, um, which was pushing for abolition of the slave trade entirely. And at first, it was it, it seemed to be an impossible feat, uh, uh, you know, fighting against an institution that had lasted thousands of years and seemed to be almost a biblical form of uh, of commerce. Uh, and many men uh, asserted their right to dominate and enslave and own other men. Um, the, the Congress was uh, was setting a, a trap, uh, an intellectual trap, in counting the slaves as five eighths of a person because a five eighths of a, a five eighths of a person is still a person. And later on, uh, Wilberforce and many others would seize upon the fact that uh, that, that uh, slaves were counted as five eighths of a person, uh, and they should just simply be counted as a whole person. And if they were counted as a whole person, then the idea of slavery. Uh, of an enslaved individual uh, was was incompatible with the notion of uh, a free people uh, under the law, created equal by God. So this whole subject was surfaced by the the, the fact that Americans and the, Amer the American freemen were established in a country that would be free for all men, and so the idea of slavery had to be deleted, and that's ultimately what happened. Let's return to the original topic, and that's just to say that that there was a murder of a man by a man who is in a position of authority, and the whole issue is racialized, and the, the fact that, that we need to have police officers who are well-trained and who understand that they're there to protect the community and to have had psychological examinations and they're not a threat to the community that they're, that they've been appointed to protect. We also must not allow these uh, perpetrators who are enemies of America to conflate these issues and seize upon the, the unrest that was created and the outrage that was created over the murder of, of a man and use it to turn a free country into a communist state, which disallows for the freedom of any man. And also, we have to address the simple fact that slavery was uh, an evil institution and it was not limited to black people. It was not, there were many, many, 
many millions of black people from Africa that were enslaved, but there were also many, many, many white European people who were also enslaved. So we have to explore this system of slavery a little closer. I think it will be, become clear to us that as we explore it, we'll have to look at the instruments that are being used against us and these devices of language. So, you know, black and white, those terms are, are cathartic. And so if you, if you have a, uh, an old chess set, uh, the pieces are, are black and white. And in, in the past, uh, movies were black and white movies. Uh, old police cars were, were black and white. So the, the terminology is duality. And we can see this expressed in, in many different ways. These uh, terms uh, are, are very important in the lodge uh, for Freemasonry. The floor is a checkerboard black and white floor. Uh, it's necessary for it to be a legitimate lodge. It's, 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 it's mysticism. It's ancient and sacred mysticism that describes the forces of chaos between darkness and light uh, to be a place of destruction. And so it's out of these, the, this destruction of the black and the white that a Freemason builds uh, his work. This way, long before the, these terms black and white denoted uh, racial aspects uh, or, or racial features, which is a relatively new development, the idea of black and white um, denoted something far different when it comes to uh, ancient mystery religions, for instance. <clears throat> Look at uh, Rome. Uh, whenever they choose a new, uh, a new pope, they have to put smoke from the chimney, and the curia put smoke from the chimney. It's either black smoke or it's white smoke, depending on what the outcome is. Uh, and, and in the same way, uh, black and black magic and white magic are instruments that are, are very ancient constructs um, that you know, predate by a long shot the idea that uh, people could be described in terms of, of whites and blacks. It's, it's almost ridiculous, but that's where we're faced with today. And uh, it's become evident to us now that we no longer have the language of the relevant vocabulary to express our dilemma which is that uh, we're trying to fight for human freedom. These terms, uh, black and white, uh, seem to indicate the point where people who, who control our thinking descended us into a level of ignorance that we have no, that we're almost trapped in it. The power elite groups like the Knights of Malta and even the Jesuit order have long, I mean, for 500 years now, I've had their symbols uh, distinctly denoted as a black and white uh, symbolism that they, that they use. Um, so we have to understand that these are really evidence of the slavery of our mind. So now these instruments are being used against us in a political sense uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, if you don't say that black lives matter and you say that white lives matter then you then you can see that it's creating conflict and it has already the the instrument of conflict has already worked against us and that on that level so we can no longer see each other as american freemen fighting for our freedom we have to look at each other as blacks and whites and, and under such a guise under such a mask we have lost the roots and the connections to our original ancestry. We have no longer any basis to understand who we are, where we're coming from, and what freedom means. Uh, we're back here at the Looking Glass Forum, and we're going to get right back on topic here. And we're discussing the fight for freedom and uh, liberty and independence that began long ago. And concerning America, uh, back in the, in, in the 1700s, as Puritans and famously Anabaptists and Baptists flooded into America to find religious freedom, they were taking a perilous journey across the ocean in order to escape ultimately what was the, uh, the Inquisition of Rome, the terrible persecution of the, the Roman papacy against 
all those that were declared as heretics by the Holy Office. Now, the system of absolute terror and butchery is just beyond comprehension. And I think our modern minds simply cannot comprehend the horror of centuries and slaughter that took place within inquisitional dungeons. And those accused by the Holy Office, and I'm using my fingers as, as uh, quotation marks, of, of heresy were guilty of, uh, of, of a capital crime. And they were forcefully arrested in the dead of night, and rarely were they ever seen or heard from again, except on the day of their burning at the stake. And they could be held within inquisitional dungeons throughout Europe for years without having any contact with their family. Now, as the, the Inquisition is going to get going, it really began in, uh, by Pope Lucius III in 1184. And it developed different ways. Ultimately, the Crusade Wars were an outcropping of, of the, these kind of religious calls for the destruction, the physical death and destruction of all those who are enemies of the papal system in Rome. And, and, it, and a lot of the... Uh, the original crusade wars would begin as they would gather people together and start to march them off to Israel in order to take part in, in fighting the Muslims and freeing the Holy Land as it were. And on their way, um, they would, there was uh, uh, very often uh, a type of pogrom or um, uh, a persecution against Jews would happen, would break out. It, it, it happened very often as these armies would uh, start to go and make way to fight the, the Muslims. They would find, uh, by the word of the popes, they would find Jewish settlements, and they were often murdered by the thousand. This happened often in history. So it doesn't take but a moment to look on the internet and see that there are literally dozens of you know Wikipedia articles about the. Um, the peasant mobs that were swept up to become armed troops to fight the, the Pope's crusades and on the way in France and Germany they would find Jewish communities and basically slaughter them. So there was a, in the medieval mind there was a certain amount of anti-Semitism that went, on, went along with their with their uh, belief in the, Catholic, the Roman Catholic uh, religion. So of course, uh, you couldn't have any disagreement with the Roman Catholic religion, or you would be arrested and murdered by the Inquisition, and I think that's the point here. Inquisitional fires would rage all throughout Europe, and also in Mexico, but they never came to America. And we have to look at the methods of torture that were applied to, to everyone who was arrested by the Inquisition, regardless of age. Even children as young as 12 were mutilated and extirpated and annihilated by the Holy Office. So they had a highly complex system of tracking people who were um, outstanding uh, heretics with warrants, uh, people that had been accused. And um, they would often torture people to death, and they would also uh, often torture people until they told them whatever they wanted to hear, including accusing their own family members and wives and children and their own neighbors of heresy or what have you. During the Spanish Inquisition, um, Jews conversos famously had to renounce their, their Jewish you know, religion and, and heritage and, and convert to Catholicism, or, or they were given a certain amount of time to flee or be faced with arrest and, and the, the brutal, humiliating, torturous uh, kind of you know, d damnation of, of, the, uh, of the Inquisition. And of course, when they brought you out finally, to, there was no forgiveness, there was no way to reconcile you were going to be tortured until you admitted that you were a heretic um, or they, whatever the, uh, the charges were against you and then later if you didn't die in prison after a year or so they would bring you out you would be unrecognizable and they would burn you at the stake in the, you know, in the town square and these fires and these auto defaces of burning people continued ceaselessly just endlessly on and on for, for, for years in fact the inquisitions continued on from 1100 and they really were ended in the most humiliating and shameful abuse of human history in 1804. And at that time, they would eventually change the office, the Holy Office of the Inquisition and change the title altogether to um, the, the, the Office of the Doctrine of the Saints or some such thing. It's important to point out that there was a psychological uh, system of terror that was in place that would cause people to go out of their way 
to uh, basically be tortured into submission and into uh, uh, telling other neighbors and turning their neighbors in for errors of heresy or, or for, for supposedly having a, a, a Bible or what have you, which it was absurd that the uh, the Bible printed in, in out, of, out of Latin, so if it was a Bible that was printed uh, not in the Latin language, it was an illegal Bible. If it, if it was a common language that could be read in the common uh, common tongue, you could be arrested by the Inquisition, and of course, would be disappeared into the Inquisitional dungeons when and, and everyone knew that that what was coming. So the system of terror was in place and, and everyone could be expected to be accused and be arrested despite the, 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 the strongest, uh, the, the people with the strongest will, everyone was broken and ultimately confessed to the Inquisition and, and there, were, there were other heretics and there were other accusations that, that, that would come out of it. So they were looking for people to, to, to be broken and ultimately to incriminate their neighbors and their family also. And the really insidious thing of it all was that all heretics or declared heretics of the Inquisition were their property was confiscated. So it became a kind of thing where if you had enemies or if you had people that you were competing with, you would accuse them to the Inquisition and they would be disappeared and their property would be would be disappeared and you, you could you know people would, would use the Inquisition as an instrument against um, their neighbors and ultimately would get out of control and everyone would get you know get accused and, and people would live, were living in absolute sheer terror. So this is the backdrop of what the fight for freedom uh, looks like. As these in the 1700s, as the Puritans and the Baptists are making their way into the new land, and they're, they're ultimately trying to find a way to escape the Inquisition. So we can't help but notice, uh, if you know your history, that the um, the entire system of jurisprudence and common law legal structure within the United States was built as a system of of defending individual civil liberty and freedom of the individual against such tyrannical abuses. So it was designed specifically as a system of legal protection um, for the citizenry against the Inquisition. So if, if you can understand that the freedom of speech to speak freely, the freedom of the press, because the, the Gutenberg uh, printing press was banging out King James Bibles in England in English. It was not in Latin. So, so of course, they were heretics. They were Protestants in England, and they, and they were, uh, you know, at that time, and they 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 made the uh, the King James Bible. And so, uh, if you know, they were destroying, of course, burning all of these Bibles if they could uh, get their hands on them. And they were, if you were arrested by the Inquisition in in areas that were controlled by Roman Catholicism and the papacy, and of course, the Inquisition would reign supreme in that area. So, in America, you have the right to face your accusers in court. So, which is much different than the Inquisition, which which is that they would just come in and bust in the middle of the night and say that you had been accused and you were carted off and tortured and you never got to even see who your accuser was or even if there was any legitimate, uh, you know, uh, valid claim to the accusation, right? So, in America, you have a, you have the right to tr a trial by your peers. So, you have a right to have the entire case open to the public and exposed instead of inside of a, the, the closed doors of the Inquisition dungeons where the uh, the Inquisitions would being, the Inquisitors would do their tortures uh, to people and, and basically make them just say what they wanted and admit to the uh, to the, the accusations. And of course, you have the freedom um, to a uh, defense counsel to you know to help you. And you have uh, habeas corpus also, uh, which is that you have to produce the person, you have to produce the body uh, before the court. You can't just stuff people away for five or ten years in, in the back in the dungeons and chains and, and in hot irons and, uh, and to be tortured for the rest of their lives without ever seeing them again. And of course, the idea of a speedy trial and other, so all these developments uh, within our, our, um, the, the American legal system are developments that would ensure that America would never, uh, the, the citizenry within America would never face the Roman Inquisition. Of course, it goes without saying that in America we would have the, the right to religious freedom and toleration, and we would not be persecuted, 
and neither would there be a state religion, of course, or even an establishment of religion that would govern over all the people. And so that's kind of how you have this secular environment and the separation between church and state, which is perfectly appropriate. And it's something that is a development of the Protestant Reformation and the revolution in America. Before we can get to the Civil War, we have to recognize the incredible daring of the, the founding fathers and the patriots and the pioneers of, of the, the colonies, the British colonies, that set forth this ultimate revolt and the separation and breaking us under the bands. They would have independence, political independence and political freedom to become a separate nation. And it's fascinating because at that time, um, in England had, had long been a stronghold of Protestantism and Protestant religious liberty um, under Elizabeth, of course, the first, and, and her, uh, her son, uh, James, who would be the uh, one who would have the, the, the King James Bible printed in English, so that, of course, he did it as a political maneuver because it really gouged in the eye of the Pope, who had declared that only Bibles in Latin and, uh, and priests who were trained in Latin to read it to the people were, were really valid religion. So if you had, like, a, a Bible in the common tongue that everyone could take home and read, it was really just false religion, and, and, that, and that's how it was ultimately an, anathematized by the, the Pope, and it was called a, a heresy. So if you were holding one of these Bibles, you became a heretic, and, and it was a very dangerous political game of chicken that they were playing. Ultimately, Henry VIII would, um, if you go back, he would uh, separate from the Church of Rome and create the Anglican Church and create and stand up his own bishops to, to uh, minister to the people, and he really defied the power of the Pope over his kingdom, which, you know, which, you know, I, of course, applaud him for doing. As we move forward, we have to really take a closer look at the system of the medieval world that um, that the, the, the early Puritans and uh, Baptists who are coming to America, along with, of course, the indentured servants, uh, the, the, the indentured servitude, people who would go into uh, debtor's prison but eventually end up plowing fields in America, right? So it was a system of serfdom that reigned over the European uh, world. It was a system of uh, where you had lords, you had a monarchy, a rightful king, um, and you had noblemen and knights. And it was a whole system of where, where you were not independently for you a subject uh, to the landholders. And whatever land you were on, uh, those were the landlords, and they, whatever religion they chose was what religion you were. So, of course, you would be, as a serf, uh, the regular population would never really learn to read or write or to do anything other than what they were trained to do, maybe as a blacksmith or, you know, whatever their particular trade was. And, of course, the lords were, were, were royal blood. Um, and they were noblemen who, whose, uh, whose lineages were, were carefully um, protected and intermarried by, of course, the system of the Roman papacy. It was in, in the, the governing religious system. And, of course, the governing religious system of Rome uh, would decide who would be king. They would ultimately coronate kings, and they would decide that one king was going to to, to accede to the throne, and, and another potential prince, you know, was unworthy. And ultimately, they had the power over all of the minds of the medieval world. And even, you know, the king, you know, stories where kings famously would try to pull back their authority from the Pope, and ultimately they will be excommunicated and, um, of course, replaced by, the, by the, 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 the Pope's emissaries. So, in 1776, the American colonies are people who are deciding to break away from this system of medieval serfdom and Roman inquisitional murder. And they decided they were going to set up their own independent Protestant nation. Due to a book which is called Inquisition, the Reign of Fear. And it's, uh, uh, let's see, by Toby Green, and it's really good. It, it goes into the historical documentation. The, the inquisitors were meticulous note-takers, and they would actually take notes on the entire 
uh, examination of torture. And in, in the, the, the term third degree is famously the the, uh, the, the, the the torture of the third degree. They would actually bring in the torture implements and show the victim the torture tools before they would start to use them. So the, the, the it gets it's almost it's 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 depraved and it's grotesque. But they, the 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 system of the Inquisition was a, a system of torture that was so bar barbarous that it's just it, it will blow your mind and you're probably not ready for it. So, but just if you want to take a deeper look into that, so. What we're looking at is that the, the Patriots were revolting against the system of monarchy, which was being taken over by the papacy. So previous kings in England had been men who allowed the Bible to be printed and allowed for religious freedoms and allowed for the Protestant religion, which was different than the Roman faith. Um, so now that, uh, of course, uh, George III was ultimately... In, in the hands of the Jesuit order at the time, and they were managing him. And so the Stamp Act and some of the other provocations uh, you know, meant to keep the, the, the subjects in the colonies under control were ultimately met with revolt uh, by a population that was primarily Protestant and had their, their illegal Bibles and were prepared to, to basically disobey the Pope and the Pope's king, George III. So, at this point, they're, they're basically taking their their hand, their lives in their hands, and they're going to to do what they can with uh, under the, the leadership of George Washington to break free of the British tyranny. You might note here that it was in Mecklenburg County in Pennsylvania where the first um, declaration of independence from political political bands of um, of a fealty and loyalty were severed. And ultimately, there was that Mecklenburg Declaration that was used by the, the authors of the Declaration of Independence um, as the, the beginning kind of archetype. And Mecklenburg County was, of course, famously um, Dutch Protestants, and uh, and they were determined not to have their county and their state turned, or at that time, their colony turned over to the hands of the Inquisition, which was really what the threat was. As we have the the, the rise of the, the new American nation, freedom and independence, individual soul liberty, uh, the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, we are seeing a political constitution that's being designed to make every man free. And of course, um, this was something that was completely contrary to the old order of the medieval world, which said that nobody was free, everyone was owned. It, it was already a foregone conclusion that you were a slave because your king could order you to be made into a viceroy, or he could order you into prison, or he could order you to marry this person, or to be divorced and to marry that person. And your king, your monarch, was the ultimate power, a dictator in your life as a subject, and you could be made into a lord or to a knight, but ultimately you, you lived or died at the word of your king. So this is ultimately tyranny. If you had a, a just king, it, you could have a, a just society, but ultimately the power was balanced only in just a single man. So as they raised the republic, the idea was to create the power of the of the sovereign would be taken from, we would no longer have overlords and rulers, but we would have a republic, a system of representation where the laws and, of course, the power of, of the authority of the government was in the hands of the people instead of just in the hands of a single monarch who could be controlled or assassinated and replaced. And so the, the, the entire construction of the American system of government representation was designed to make sure that we'd never return again to a system of monarchy. Now, what we have to understand is that those systems of monarchy and the, re the religious system of the, in the papacy still exist today. And, and, and in, in Spain, you still have the king on the throne, Juan Carlos and his son in place there. I mean, of course, you have 
in England you have uh, the king seen to be placed after Elizabeth II. Uh, so these these systems of of nobility are still in place, and the, and the systems of knighthoods, the the, the the papal knights, and those orders of knights, are they still exist? And so on some level, there's still the same acrimony that was in place then in 77 still is in many places in place today. And it was never, they never expected that America, the American colonists, would be able to survive and create a truly independent uh, and and uh, functionally sovereign nation that was basically uh, able to function independently on its own. We can kind of move closer to the topic of the Civil War. It's, it's important to understand that at that time, it was uh, nearly, uh, you know, 90 years later, uh, 100 years later after the Constitution had really been ratified. Now, the American uh, body politic was experiencing major convulsions over the issue of states' rights. And so, every state had been its own independent nation, and those independent nations had made a federal system to help them uh, work together, but ultimately, whether the states would remain united, or whether the states, as independent nation states, would retain their absolute sovereignty, would, would be the matter, would be the, the debate at the time. So Lincoln was the president, and of course, many countries in Europe had long abolished slavery in, in, in what's in the 1860s when we're facing this, this, the, the, the strife of the Civil War. In France, it was already abolished in 1794, and in England in 1807, which is around the time when the Inquisition was ended also. So, um, it was a matter of European expansion at the time. Uh, many of the European nations, they had, uh, the, the, the monarchs had claims, uh, the French had claims up in the north in Canada, the Spanish had claims down in the south in the Mexico area, and many mo monarchs were depending, uh, were expecting that the American experiment was going to simply co collapse and fail in a slave revolt. And they uh, expected that America was about to totally fail and collapse. So, of course, both France and England invaded. Uh, the French troops were in the south in the Spanish holdings, and England uh, found a hard time finding bases as they went up into Canada because of the Union had uh, sent their armies to make sure that the, the English couldn't land. Um, so at this point, it must be noted that Russia was an integral ally of the Union. Okay, so the Russia, the Russian uh, fleet was stationed in South, uh, San Francisco and in the ports in New York and protected both sides of, of America in the Pacific and in the Atlantic. So the, the, that's what, the, you know, it was Tsar Alexander II and it was his fleet that was put into place to, to make sure that the, uh, the European nations could not get involved in this civil war as the, it broke out, and basically invade and conquer the, the whole continent. So, uh, it's important to note that Tsar Al Alexander II was, had, was famous for kicking the Jesuit order out of all Russian, Russian holdings. Okay? And they were encouraging the Polish to revolt, and so the French and the English were, were getting involved with the, with the Polish to help them revolt against the Russian Tsar, and that's why he counteracted and helped the, the American Union, uh, the American uh, nation, to stay intact as they, the Civil War commenced. So as we take a look at this fight for statehood and the fight for the, the preservation of the American Union and the freedom of the slaves, it wasn't just a matter of America. It was an international conflict. And all eyes were on America and expected that at that time that we were certainly going to, to, to collapse. And, and it's hard for them to probably have looked forward to see that we would be today in 2020 uh, a nation that has, against all the odds, become a nation that is, that is unified, multicultural, and culturally diverse. And it, it's the most amazing society that the world has ever seen. During the Civil War, if it turned out that the American Union in the North were to collapse and be taken over by the Southern Confederacy, that 
the powers of freedom and independence and liberty, the Protestant doctrines of, of, of soul, the liberty of conscience, would, would collapse with it. And it's important to note at this time that, that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican and that Jefferson Davis in the South was a Democrat of the Democrat Party. So it's interesting to me that we see now many of the Democrats moving to take down many of their own monuments and their own Confederate statues, which it's as if they were going to hide their past. But we must remember that the Confederacy and the Democrat Party were one. And of course, Pelosi is trying to remove uh, 11 of the uh, Confederate statues as, as slaveholders out of out of the Congress. But of course, those nine out of 11 of those statues are Democrats. And as we examine more closely the issues, we can see that um, Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederacy, and he was receiving letters from the Pope of Rome directly, encouraging him to, to, to make war with the North and that it was a heretic nation and it should be destroyed. So if you look carefully on the internet, you can see those letters of, of, of the Vatican's support of the Confederacy and against the Union, because of course the Union ultimately, the, 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 its inception was a Protestant doctrine. And as we look at some of the issues of the issues of race in America's past, as far as the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, against we see a fraternal order of the men um, who are knights. So it's kind of a return to this idea of of, um, of nobility and the suppression of the, uh, the, the 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 plebs and the peasants to be run under their horses by the uh, the gallant white knights of the clan. You know, so you can imagine that uh, it was just a, a reversion back to the medieval mindset. As simply as a matter of history, when we look back at the, the slave trade, we have to recognize that in Africa, uh, many of the most of the slaves that were being taken were being taken by, by Islamic forces there that were invading into Africa. And the Barbary pirates were famously Islamic slavers who were taking ships there in the Straits of Hormuz and around Tripoli, and famously Thomas Jefferson and Sir Jefferson will be involved in the first Barbary Wars uh, fought against the Muslim pirates there who uh, were insisting that they could basically capture ships and take any that they found on the ship as slaves. Because, of course, a tenet of Islam is that if you're a Kafir or if you're an infidel, then you are to be killed or sold as a slave as a matter of Muhammad's uh, law that he set up in the Quran. So out of that um, need to defend our ships, we would raise the, the Marine Corps, who would famously fight the Barbary Pirates in Tripoli and, and win. And so we have to realize, realize that the, the fight to end slavery was really a universal international fight. And when the British and the French came in to invade during, in the 1860s during the Civil War, they meant to destroy our freedom, take us all as slaves, reduce us back to a, a system of medieval slavery and serfdom where we would be facing the Inquisition and facing the authority of the Pope uh, as our absolute sovereign, uh, you know. So I think we have to, to put into perspective that here in America, racism is, is over and that every man is free no matter who he is. And no matter what he looks like, what his background is, if you're in America, you're breathing, you're a free man, and that's a matter of history.